Second Kings chapter 5 is our text this morning, verses 1 through 14. It's New Year's, and we're familiar with uh, some of the imagery of the New Year. Often the old year is associated with, you know, an old hunched back, sort of decrepit looking man, that's the old year going out. How many feel a little bit like, don't raise your hand, you feel a little bit like that old man this morning, all right, with the cold and all. And of course, the new year is pictured as that beautiful, fair-skinned little baby, just a bouncing little baby boy, that's the new year coming in. Well, we're going to read in our text, and our story this morning is of a man whose flesh was made new, like a little baby. But more importantly, his spirit was made new. And while we would wish and desire, you know, for those that are suffering the ailments and some of the... uh, you know, afflictions of the passing of time, we would wish that everyone could have their flesh literally made new. Uh, but while that may not be the possibility for all of us, to have a new and renewed spirit like Naaman's is entirely possible. And so uh, with that kind of as a backdrop, let's go ahead and read our text and we'll pray and we'll get right into the message this morning. So, again, you have your Bibles open, Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible reads, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, 
and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And he returned to the man man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Shall we pray? Lord, we're thankful today for this opportunity once again as we conclude a year that has been full of activity. It's been full of challenges and changes and blessings in our lives. And Lord, today as we reflect upon that and think about a new year, Lord, that uh, a, a year that's a clean slate as yet. Lord, we need a renewed spirit. Lord, perhaps there's someone here today that is not yet saved. They've not yet been born again. And uh, Lord, that is a recreation of their life, really, in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that if there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that today might be the day of their new birth. Born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Given the forgiveness of sins and the promise of never-ending life with God in heaven. Lord, we pray that you'll be with each believer. Lord, help us to realize that uh, while the flesh is weak and the body ages day by day, that our spirit can be renewed. And we can have a fresh and vibrant walk with you in this coming new year. And for this, we'll give you the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Our story is that of the healing of a prominent Gentile by the name of Naaman. And the Bible tells us that he was healed of his leprosy at a time, according to Luke 4.27, when no other lepers were healed. So this was a unique Miracle. This was a unique event uh, in all of that time. It was the ninth century B.C., the time of the prophet Elisha. And the uh, king of uh, Israel was uh, uh, Jehoram. It's a story about a man who's not just healed of his leprosy. But think of this, he was healed of his pride. And pride is a hideous thing that God hates. You know, it, it lurks in the shadows of every one of our hearts. 
And it just, it, it becomes insidious. Uh, you know, it, it becomes at times omnipresent in our lives. And yet the Bible says in Proverbs 6 verse 16, these six things that the Lord hate, ye seven are an abomination unto him. And the very first thing that is mentioned there is a proud look. The Proverbs also in chapter 16 verse 18 tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Someone has well said that pride is the AIDS of the soul. You know, the hideous disease AIDS is acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And when a person dies as a result of acquiring AIDS, they don't really die of the AIDS virus itself. Rather, they die of a complicated illness. It could be pneumonia, it could be meningitis, or some other um, uh, infection. But the AIDS virus, what it does is it blinds the eyes of its victim's bodily defense system. does not recognize the threat. And therefore, the autoimmune system malfunctions. And ultimately, those deadly viruses and bacteria that come in unawares destroy him. And just like that, pride blinds us. Not only to itself and its, its very presence, but to every other sin that's tucked away in the recesses of our heart. You know, Jeremiah said that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Ladies and gentlemen, we don't even know our own hearts. But pride lurks there. And it, it, that pride will cause us to hate correction, even the correction of God's Word. But oh my goodness, in 2017 and heading into 2018, how we need the correction of God's Word in our lives. In fact, listen to this verse in the New Testament, James 4 and verse 6. This is what we need to understand, that God giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. In the original state, we find Naaman in our story. God is resisting him. But thank goodness, before the story is concluded, Naaman finds a wonderful grace as he's humbled. And so we'll look at the various characters in this amazing Old Testament drama this morning. And I want to begin with Naaman and his celebrity in verse 1. Naaman's celebrity... The Bible tells us that he was the captain of the host of the king of Syria and was a great man with his master. In fact, he was so well thought of by the king who was willing to give a ransom for the man's life and for his health and his generosity. He had greatness in the sight of men. Now, as captain of the king of Syria, Syria's host, I just want to put that in perspective how mighty a man this Naaman was on the world scene in those days. At that time, Syria was one of the great nations on earth. In today's terminology, it would be a superpower. And you know, you think of the great men in the United States. Certainly they say the President of the United States is the most powerful man on earth. But militarily speaking, it's the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is a man of military rank and highest position. 
And that would be similar to the nature of Naaman's position in the king of Syria's cabinet. He was certainly great in the sight of men. But what we need to understand, and we also see this in verse 1, that any man's greatness, it doesn't matter who it is, that greatness is given to him by God. Okay? It is a stewardship that he has. It's something that's been entrusted to him. And if we look at that in verse 1, it says that this man Naaman was great with his master. He was honorable. Why? Because by him, notice now, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Great, true greatness comes from God. Whether it's in the area of you know, uh, wisdom for business, knowledge and understanding in dealing with people, uh, rising to positions of, of power and uh, influence and affluence in this life. All of that comes from God. And what we learn in this text is that God will even grant to unsaved individuals that worldly greatness, that power of influence, that affluence. And, and uh, God had... Uh, used Naaman in, in that way. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 75 that promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. So whatever it is our station in life today, we under, we need to understand that that promotion or demotion it comes, comes from the Lord. Now the Lord expects us to exercise uh, wisdom, he expects us to be hardworking, diligent people, all of that. You know, sometimes, um, maybe our lack of promotion, it's not the Lord's, the Lord that's at fault in that, it's our own laziness that's put us there. And we need to understand that as well. So there, there is a balance. But if we're, if we're ever going to, uh, amount to something, if we're ever going to be used by God, and you know, not ever, not, not all are kings, we can't all be kings in this life. But if we're ever going to be used by God, we need to understand it's the, it's the Lord that will give us that promotion. It's the Lord that will give us that advancement. Now, with all of Naaman's celebrity, here, here is the thing that really stands out in verse number 1. It says he was a mighty man of valor, but, but look at this now. The last phrase of the verse. It says, but he was a leper. And so there was that blemish on all of his greatness. And all of that standing with the king and in society and all the ways that he had been used with his military prowess and might could not compensate for this fact that he was a leper. He had that cursed disease. And he was a dying man. Well, let me say to you this morning that leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. And it matters not. You know, we can go through life and we can attain greatness as the world sees it. Now, it might not ever be said that we are a leper. But, you know, all the great men, all the presidents and kings and prime ministers of this world, if they have a worldly affluence and influence, if they have a worldly greatness, we could tack that phrase on to the end of any statement about them and say, but he or she 
was a sinner. And just like a leper physically is a dying individual, a sinner spiritually is a dying individual who ultimately is going to spend eternity separated from God. What an awful condition to be in. And leprosy is a picture of that sin. And the fact is, before you and I came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were such a sinner. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Aren't you glad for His salvation today? That you and I as a sinner could be partakers of His grace? One day, John saw in the book of Revelation... Uh, And he wrote in Revelation 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The fact is, one day, every man, woman, and child, every individual that's ever lived is going to stand before the great and awesome, powerful God of heaven and give an account for our life. And as a sinner... There is no alternative but to an eternal separation from God. Oh, Naaman was a great man, but he was a dying man. The men and women of this world may have a temporal greatness, but they're dying men and women without a Savior. So no achievement really now could compensate. You know, a man will give just about anything for his health. There's no sum that's too great if he can afford it to pay for his health and for his longevity. He would have gladly exchanged all of that accomplishment, all of his position, all of his material wealth, just to be rid of that leprosy. So we see Naaman's celebrity, but we move on to verse 2 and 3. And this is wonderful. It's precious what we see next in this story. And how, you know, from this great man that God is going to use a humble child in his life and in this story. And we see the little maid from Israel. We see her compassion. And it's a beautiful thing in verses 2 and 3. You see, the Syrians, they'd gone out and they brought out of Israel a little girl captive. And she happened to wait upon the wife of this great captain of the king's host, Naaman's wife. And so when she knew, she knew of the leprosy of her master, she said unto her mistress, Would God, my lord, Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. God's about to use a little child. Can God use children today? Absolutely. God uses the most humble among us. The Bible says that even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Paul wrote to Timothy and explained how that from a child, Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And the fact is, here God is going to use this little maid and her compassion. And uh, the fact is that Naaman himself would have to become like a little child in humility before God would save and heal him. This girl was a captive in a strange land. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it reading a story such as this, but you know, this little girl even, 
She could have found many a reason to feel deserted, lonely, and maybe abandoned by God. She could have justified in her little heart being bitter against the God of heaven. Think about it. But instead, she chose another route. She chose the high road. And she had compassion even on her captors. Not bitter, not seeking revenge, very much like Christ in her attitude, who Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And she exemplified confidence, not only in the man of God, the prophet of God, Elisha, but the God of that prophet. And notice the confidence with which she speaks in verse 3 when she speaks to her mistress. Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Notice, for he would recover him of his leprosy. That's an ultimate faith and confidence, isn't it? It's not, well, he could do that. Or he might do that. Or it's always possible. She says, no, he, he would. Listen, she had confidence in the God of Israel. That little child could teach us all a lot about faith. Amen? So we see this little mate, this little girl that God... And it gives me wonderful hope and excitement and enthusiasm for serving God because I know if, if God can use a little girl like that, you know, think of it, God can use every one of us. And you know, some of you are still children. I'm glad some of the, the older children are in the service here because you know what? God wants to use you. And God can use you. And, and don't ever think of it, well, you know, because when I was a child, I sometimes would think this way. Well, you know, when I get to be an adult, then maybe God can use me. I'm just a child now. So that day's coming off in the future. No, you know what, young people? God wants to use you now. Right where you are. Exercise faith. Talk daily to the God of heaven. Get to know Him. Ask God how He wants to use you. And He will. And you know, God can use all of us. Earthen vessels, weak vessels... Yeah, you know what? We're frail. Life is fragile. I discover, I mean, I had a real shock this week. In fact, after this week, I don't know what I'm going to do in the new year for excitement. Because I'll tell you what happened to me on Friday. I had a small line of credit that I needed to pay off. So I went down to the Scotiabank, corner of Chincuzzi and Queen Street. I was the next in line for the teller. I'm waiting there to transact my business when through the front door of that bank burst a couple of young guys. I mean, they came charging in, leapt over the counter, a couple of masked men, and robbed that bank. And in the few seconds it took me to process all of that, I'm thinking, thieves? What's the next thought on your mind if you're thinking thieves coming through the bank door? Guns, Right? I charged out of there as fast as I could, as did every other client in the bank. 
And we ran, raced out to the parking lot. I looked over at the adjacent uh, Royal Bank, which is just kitty corner to it. And clients were racing out of that bank as well. These, these thieves hit those two banks simultaneously. I'm like, be still my heart. When, when I got home and told my family, they thought, yeah, right, Dad. Good story. Nice. Um, but, you know, what, what I'm saying is, I really don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is, there's an uncertainty about life. We're frail, fragile people at best. It wouldn't take much. You know, had there been some shooting going on, I could have easily been in the line of fire. But God had other plans, and I'm thankful for it. And so, uh, with enthusiasm and with gusto, let's take a hold of every day for God. And say, you know what, God, I'm going to give you my best today. Because you alone are worthy. If God can use a little child, He can use me. So, uh, we have Naaman's celebrity of the little maid's compassion. And then we have a king's consternation in verses 4 through 7. This king is uh, Joram, or Jehoram, as he's called in Scripture. And he is the son of Ahab. You all know the name Ahab, don't you? Ahab and Jezebel, Israel's wickedest king. And so, in verses 4 through 7, we see the arrival um, at... um, at King Jehoram's, all right? Uh, one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And you see what the king thought of Naaman, because the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I'll send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment, and he brought this letter to the king of Israel. Well, you know what? 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold at today's prices is well over a million dollars Canadian. But you know, the truth is, you can't buy your health. And you can't buy salvation. The Bible says as much as you know you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Uh, so, we have this lavish gift that is going to go along with Naaman. And we find Naaman's expectations. Coming to the king and expecting a king is going to solve the problem. By the way, the answer to our problems today is not in politics. Now, listen, we ought to be praying, especially because it's close at hand. We ought to be praying for our premier, Kathleen Wynne. We ought to be praying for... Our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, we ought to be praying for the President of the United States, Donald Trump. And we ought to be praying for politicians on all levels of government. But I want you to understand something. While the politicians might be part of the problem, certainly, I I think they're uh, really uh, just symbols of the problem in society. But politicians are not the answer. Politics are not the answer. The answer is the Savior. The answer is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you what, Bible preaching churches are more needed in our country than another politician is. The preaching of the Word of God 
is what will change men's hearts and lives. Old T. DeWitt Talmadge, an old Bible preacher of the late 19th century, said this, Politics will save our nation the same day that the devil evangelizes perdition. You know what he's saying? He's saying the day that Satan himself goes down to hell and becomes a soul winner, that's the same day that politics is the answer. Well, it's never happening, is it? We need, we need men and women to share this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with our nation. So Naaman had those expectations. And when the king failed, now both kings failed. The king of Syria, because he failed to buy Naaman's salvation, he failed to buy Naaman's healing, but King Joram, back in Israel, feels as if the king of Syria is seeking an opportunity to quarrel or seek a reason or excuse for war with Israel. And he says as much. But that king of Israel, who should have known the God of Israel, failed to give Naaman an answer. He failed to direct him to the God of Israel. He failed to direct him to the man of God. But Elisha let the king know he will do something. Look at verse 8. Let's read that. It says, It was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, then he said to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. <laughs> Listen. The king of Israel didn't know the God of Israel. But Elisha says, Listen. Naaman can know the God of Israel if he'll humble himself. Any man can know that. And there is a God in 2018. Hello? There is a God who lives and reigns in 2018. We better know it. And you know what? We better... Be ready to give an answer for our faith. 1 Peter 3.15 Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. I wonder this morning, how many professing Christians in Canada could give an answer for their faith? I wonder how many Christians could lead another soul to Christ if their life depended on it. Do you know the Bible well enough? Do you know God's plan of salvation? Do you know the gospel of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that there is no other hope for society? We need to know what we believe. And we need to be ready to give an answer of it. You know, today we're sadly afflicted even with Christian leaders who apologize for the Word of God. Why? I don't. I really think they don't know the God of this Bible. So the king was filled with consternation. He shouldn't have been. If we know God, our hearts will not be filled with conflict and consternation and suspicion. Our hearts will be filled with joy and praise and gratitude for the, towards the God that we serve. 
Now, even Naaman was caught up in this for a time. In verses 8 through 12, we're going to see next Naaman's contempt. Verse 8 through 12. Let's read those verses again. It was so uh, when Elisha, Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and we, he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Here's Naaman at the man of God's front door, at Elisha's door. And the interesting thing to me is Elisha shows no respect for the person of Naaman. It might have been a great man in Syria. It might have been a great man as far as the king of Syria was concerned. But Elisha does not even grace him with a personal response. He sends out a servant to him with a message. He says, Naaman, what you need to do is go down in that dirty old Jordan River. I've been there in Israel. It is a dirty little river. And go dip in it seven times. And when you do, the seventh time when you come up, your flesh is going to come uh, clean to you. You're going to be clean. You're going to be cured. You're going to be healed. You know, it reminds me of the fact that God is no respecter of persons. And while Naaman was a great man in Syria, a man of much influence, and God did choose to heal him. We're getting to that. God chose to convert him. We're getting to that. But God is no respecter of persons. And I want you to understand something. God has as much joy in the conversion of any lost sinner. Doesn't matter what their status or standing in society is. Who can measure the worth of a soul? Every soul is of inestimable value to God. No respect of persons with Him. <laughs> so, you know, it's Naaman's showing up at the prophet's door like, don't you know who I am? And I think Elisha is subtly sending the message to Naaman. Naaman, it doesn't matter who you are. You better understand who God is. And that's when the healing process will begin. He's got contempt for Elisha's manners and method. I mean, he expected Elisha to come out to such a great man as he was. Still filled with pride, wasn't he? And you see that he, he expected some dramatics to take place. You know, he says, I, I, I thought, man, you're, you're going to come out and um, you were going to do great things. I mean, I thought I was going to see lightning and thunder. I thought I was going to see fireworks, Naaman, or Elisha. What's this? Go, go uh, wash in the Jordan River? Let me ask this. Why do we come to church? You know, what do we want to see from God in our lives? Do we want handwriting in the sky? Do we want the big show? 
Or do we just want to hear that still small voice from God? Do we just want to hear the truth? Because I'm telling you what, the truth is more powerful than all the rest of it put together. And so, when we do not bow to worldly philosophy, wisdom, or reason, or even the methodologies of this world, we can become contemptible in the eyes of men at times. In 1 Corinthians 4.13, Paul said, Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I guarantee you, many people are looking for answers in, in, in this world. As, a, as an old year closes out and a new year begins, I guarantee you, there's people all across our city tonight who are thinking, I wonder what this new year holds because 2017 was a dog. I wonder if it's even worth going forward. There's people that are that are think, going to be thinking tonight. I guess I'll just drown my sorries, sorrows in a bottle tonight because um, I got to get back to the harsh reality of life next week. But how many of them, if they only knew, the answer is in Jesus Christ. If they only knew uh, where the, the peace could be found. And you know, they might look with contempt on Christianity. They might look with contempt at the church. They might look with contempt at the Word of God. But how sad is that, right? Because that's where the answers are to be found. And Naaman was about to discover that in a powerful way. He had contempt for Elijah's message. Listen, it reminds me of how the simplicity of the gospel is offensive. Go wash in the Jordan seven times? Are you kidding me? What? No fireworks? No thunder and lightning? Hey, Elisha, we've got better rivers in Syria than what you got in Israel. Why can't I just go there? And he was stumbling at the simplicity of the message that Elisha was delivering him. And listen, that's the same thing lost people do today. And if we're honest, many of us did before we found Christ. Listen to the way Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. And really, that's the way it is. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you know what? I would rather follow God's voice, wouldn't you? To the banks of some dirty old river in Israel. 
than I would to follow the voice of a deceiver to the portals of some grand castle. Think about it. The devil will offer people everything this world has to offer, but at the end of the day, it's an illusion. But God says, the way up with me is down. Humble yourself, Naaman. Go to that little Jordan River. Yes, dip there seven times. But you come out a new man. And all the wealth in the world can't buy you that. And it's the same way in salvation. And so that brings us to our final point this morning. And that's Naaman's conversion. I love the way it's put here, verse 13. His servants, Naaman's servants, came near and spake unto him. The persuasion of these lowly men, really. They were just servants. They were going to speak a word of common sense with their master now. And they, they had respect for him. They said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. They're like, Naaman, think about it. Give your head a shake. All that you've been asked to do is dip seven times in this, in this river. You know, sometimes it just takes common, ordinary people, doesn't it? To understand the simplicity of the gospel. That's why the Bible says when Jesus spoke, you know, it wasn't so much the scribes and the Pharisees and the magistrates that heard Jesus and were converted, but it was the common people that heard Him gladly. And when Jesus spoke, He spoke to the heart and it made sense to them. Can we say, really, the greatest common sense, the greatest logic in all the world is spiritual common sense. It's spiritual logic, and it's the simplicity of the gospel. Now, it's one thing to understand the simplicity of the gospel. It's another thing to exercise faith and say, okay, well, I'm going to take a step off the edge here, and I'm going to embrace it for myself. But that's what we need to do if we're going to be saved. I mean, how much more logical does it get? The Bible tells us we're all sinners. We're hopelessly condemned. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We could be baptized until the tadpoles, as Dr. Thompson used to say, have memorized your social insurance number. Okay? But it's not going to get you to heaven. You can be a Baptist. You can be a Catholic. You can be any stripe or any denomination you want. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's only faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary that will save you. And the fact is that Jesus, the very Son of God, a sinless man, the eternal Son of God, mind you, came. That's the message of Christmas, right? He was born, but born to die. And He died for you and He died for me. He took our place. What's not to like about that? I I owed a debt that I could never hope to pay. He paid a debt that He did not owe so that I could go free. I mean, it's logical. It's common sense. And I've explained this to many people in witnessing, soul winning. And people have nodded their head and said, yeah, I understand that. But when it comes time to take that step out by faith, pride gets in the way. 
So, well, I don't know about that. Why? What are they thinking? Well, it'll, it, it might hurt my prestige. It might cost me some associations and friendships in life. It might cost me in my family. It might cost me in the workplace. Can I just say in kindness? Who really cares? You've got an eternity to gain. You've got wonderful peace and joy that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven. Take that step up by faith. Trust Him. And I'll guarantee you, you'll never turn back. You never turn back. And so these simple servants of Naaman said, Hey, Naaman, think about it. He's asking you to do a simple thing. All it takes is you to believe that. And what did he do? Just in simple obedience, the Bible says that he went down in verse 14 and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And here he was, childlike in faith and about to become childlike in his flesh. Can't you just picture that old captain of the king's host going down in that dirty river, going down once, coming back up? Yeah, nothing. Got the leprosy. Going down again, coming back up, down, up, down, up. Four, five, six times. Okay, here goes seven. It goes under, comes back up. The leprosy is gone. He's a new man. The flesh of a little child. He didn't just waltz back up the bank of that river. He exploded out of those waters. Remember old uh, uh, dear Yvonne Coppin when she got baptized? And she did that little jig in the baptistry. That was old Naaman coming up out of the Jordan. (laughs) Hallelujah! I'm clean! I've been made new. And not only was his flesh made new, but thank God his spirit was made new. And just like that, you and I can be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Friends, pride will keep you from the very best things in life. Pride almost kept Naaman from being healed. It will keep you from being saved. And in 2018... If you're a believer, pride will keep you from knowing the victory that God has for you. Remember, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Let's pray.